First Church Charlotte. All right, we are in <clears throat> we are in Mark chapter number nine. If you have your Bibles, please open it up and put it. Get your Bible in your lap. We're going to read a little bit of the passage we just dealt with last Wednesday night, and then we are going to read into the passage uh, we're dealing with tonight. So. We read where Jesus challenged his disciples in verse 31 through 33. He told them he was going to Calvary. He was going to die. It was not an accident. It was part of the plan. You know the story. Peter could not imagine a plan like this to be the will of God. And so he resisted Jesus and Jesus rebuked him as a voice of Satan, not a well-meaning, misguided believer. Uh, The lesson there is that in doubt, in fear, in disbelief, uh, the words we speak can often be the very advice that hell would give. And we think we are pursuing wisdom or moderation, which, if nothing else, should teach us all a little humility um, about speaking against something that is being revealed, demonstrated, invoked for the kingdom of God. Then Jesus challenges disciples, as we read last week, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And then having given them that challenge, he places it within a theology of the New Testament. He places it within a religious philosophy. Philosophy just means love of wisdom. And so we not we are not trying to make human philosophy of biblical principles. We're simply using it as a word to understand the wisdom of God. And so he says this to explain this request to deny self, take up cross and follow. Uh, he says, if you desire to save your life, that's actually the way to lose it. And if you desire to lose it for my sake, that's actually the way to save, to find it, to live it, uh, which teaches us the upside down nature of the kingdom of God. To live with a short term view is to make us almost without fail, without doubt, 100% of the time, miss the kingdom of God. As long as we're thinking short term, we are blind to the kingdom of God. There's no risk of us running into it even by accident. It is the opposite. But the moment we start thinking long term and we begin valuing people over things and purpose over entertainment, you get the idea. It is almost as though that is where real theological, biblical, divine wisdom is found in our lives. By giving our life to something eternal, we are filled, assumed into eternal value. But by pursuing the short-term temporal, it is though we value our life on the short-term scale. So another way for all of us to think about it is this. Where does the value of our life come from? It almost seems as though the value of our life is placed by that which we pursue. And if we pursue things of eternal value, then our life begins to reflect an eternal value. If we 
pursue things of temporal pleasure, then our life begins to have the value of the things we pursue. So let me say it this way. If what you are aiming your life and heart and mind at right now could be summed up, how much would it be worth? That's an interesting spiritual discipline for all of us to to consider. All of us have hobbies. There's nothing wrong with hobbies. Hobbies can be wonderful. All of us have things that we enjoy doing, entertainments. But if that's what we're aiming at, what if our life was valued in terms of the things we pursued? You know, and if we pursued things of low value, then ultimately it it redounded to a life of low value. This should challenge all of us to obey the scripture and seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added unto you. Then Jesus uh, reiterates this by pointing out that the soul is really the only thing of eternal value we have. Uh, That is verse 37, 38, he points out that if we're ashamed of him, then he is ashamed of us. Um, It's almost as though different values reflect um, in different ways. Let me give you an example. Um, I don't know if you have school-aged children, but if you drop your kids off at school, you see the value system of the school-aged kids and your children might be embarrassed if you, you know, drive your work truck. <laughs> they, they might be embarrassed if you make a dad joke. Um, they are living in the values of their little, say, seventh grade world. And as a result, because they are focused inward, um, they miss the things you value. Um, like, for example, uh, you're happy that your work truck is paid for. And you could care less what a classroom of seventh graders thinks about it. You see what I'm saying? It's almost as though they're, they see in two, the, the groups of people see with two different uh, views of vision. You know, an example, a, a, a bumblebee sees an infrared. Um, it, it sees ultraviolet. Um, we don't see in the ultraviolet spectrum. We're blind there. Um, but the bumblebee does. And so the lived experience of a bumblebee, (laughs) just to take this to the second illustration, would be quite different than ours. How the world looks to the bumblebee is quite different than how it would look to us. It's almost as though we live in different worlds, but we don't live in different worlds. We have different views of the same world, but they're so radically different that it might as well be a different world. I think the same can be said about people who really begin to value eternal things over temporal things. It's almost as though you live in a different world. You don't, but you see a very different perspective. I'm praying in my life, and I'm sure you feel the same way, um, that we would have a passion to see the world as it is through heaven's view, through God's heart, through eternity's vision, because I believe that changes everything. Um, Dropping off your child at school, they might be embarrassed about something you could not care less about. Uh, It wouldn't bother you a bit, but it embarrasses them. 
I think that gives an idea of what Jesus is referring to in verse 38, that if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Um, <laughs> there's a lesson there uh, that is placed right beside the lesson of where does your value in life comes from? What kind of a life do you want to live? We don't know what Jesus said to the tax collectors who were converted, uh, Zacchaeus. Um, we don't know what Jesus said. Those words aren't recorded. But we do know that after the conversation, uh, Zacchaeus said, I'm changing how I live. I am, if I've done wrong, I'm making it right. Uh, I'm going to change the order of my soul. So it wasn't as though Jesus gave him a formula to a spiritual algorithm. It was as though Jesus awakened a sense of values in him. And all of a sudden he was like, the way I've been living my life is, that's not how I want to live. I think that's the kind of idea that's shown to us here, where the Lord is challenging. The Lord is challenging them to see a whole different set of values, to see a whole different way of being. And then he gives them this promise. Uh, there are some here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of uh, kingdom of God present with power. Um, this Mount Transfiguration moment is what we're going to read now because this challenge to see a different world is placed immediately beside in the scripture, the demonstration of another world. I want to say that again. I want you to think, if you will, about the consequences of it spiritually for your life, for my life. Right beside Jesus's request, challenge to us to value a different world, to see a different world, to live by a different set of values is Mount Transfiguration. God shows the inner disciples, um, Peter, uh, James, and John, they, they, they are shown a, they're not asked to value it. They are demonstrated it. So there's there's a there's there's actually a, a lot happening here spiritually. I don't have time to do it justice, and even if I had all the time in the world, I still could not do it justice because this the, the Bible is rich. It is deep. It is powerful. You can make a lifetime study of it and go back and find new gold in the same holes you thought you had cleaned. Uh, so let's start at chapter uh, number nine, and we'll start at verse number two. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Jesus, and they were, excuse me, with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. So Elijah and Moses are there talking to Jesus. Then Peter answers and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. Then a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. This, I'm going to show you who you should be listening to. Was Elijah, could he be considered the son of God? Yeah, if you want to 
define it that way. Could Moses be described as one of the sons of God? Absolutely. So their vision is taken. A voice says, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. And then they're given clarity. And suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. All right. So uh, deep waters here. Um, he is transfigured. In the Greek, this is literally, literally metamorpho, which of course you're thinking where we get our word metamorphosis. Um, but that is truly what is happening here spiritually. Um, it is as though his fleshly form, which has not yet died. Remember, after, the de after death, he will ask for disciples not to touch him because he has not received his glorified body. Um, again, there's mystery here. But for this moment of transfiguration, there is as though the spirit realm shines through the physical and he shines, his face shines like the sun. Uh, Matthew 17 tells us, uh, if you look at the parallel passage in Mark 9, Luke says the appearance of his face was altered in some way referring to the same glory that is emanating out of him. And Luke will also say uh, that his clothes become white and glistening. Um, Mark here said they're exceedingly white like, like snow. Matthew says, and these are all parallel passages of the synoptic gospels. Um, he says, chapter 17, his clothes became as white as the light. And Peter would later say that uh, this was his majesty, Second Peter chapter one. Um, this we saw his, excuse me, we saw his majesty. I got to be careful not to punch the microphone when I get excited. Um, uh, we 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 saw his, uh, we beheld his majesty, um, and so they are seeing heaven the eternal world shine through the flesh that will pass away. This is important because this is the personification, if you will. This is the, the, the lived metaphor, um, the demonstrated simile. Uh, to see the kingdom of God, we have to see the realm of the spirit through the reality of the flesh. This is, how do we live a life where we value eternal things? We, we don't have the manifestation, irrefutable, testable by science, repeatable for demonstration. What we have is faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. And yet the challenge for us to, is to see the spiritual world shine through the, the, the world we live in. It's as though behind the image is the potential of God. This is what every person of faith must do. And we do it every day of our lives. Like in the ordinariness of your life, the trouble. Could you imagine that shining through that is the potential for the glory of the Lord to be demonstrated? The sickness in your body, could it be that shining through that sickness is a testimony to glorify the kingdom of God for his name's sake. Could it be that where the world sees 
trouble, you see spiritual opportunity. This is to live a life of faith. And this is what we are called to do. And the disciples, as demonstration, they live the teaching moment. And for them as apostles, this is uh, profoundly important because from their testimony, from their testimony will come uh, the writing, the writing of the uh, New Testament. Um, the the only the only person in this grouping who does not actively write um, is James. Now, I know what you're thinking, the book of James, that's uh, James, the brother of Jesus, not James, uh, the, the, the brother of uh, Peter. Um, so James is the only one who is there and does not write a book about it. Peter wrote two books. Uh, James wrote um, uh, an epistle. And so for them, it becomes, excuse me, uh, not James. I just clarified that. John would write a first, second, and third John and the book of Revelations. Um, so th their writings, their insight becomes the foundational theological basis of New Testament theology, which, for example, Peter would write of beholding the majesty of God um, in the first chapter of his uh, of of his first his first book, um, and so. This is the challenge for all of us. But notice this, this doesn't happen to them in the lowlands of distraction. This happens to them in the high places of being called away. Um, and here I think is yet another emergent lesson for all of us. And I, I want us uh, to apply it in our lives. I want to apply it in my life if I can. There are experiences that never happen in a life of distraction. They only happen in the seasons of our life where we call ourselves away to seek the face of God. Um, isn't that interesting? There are things that only happen when you are called away to high places of spiritual seeking. They don't happen down in the valley. Now, you can't live there. I know people who think they live there, but you can't live there. Uh, the Lord brings Peter, James, and John down off the mountain. And you know what they find as soon as they get off the mountain? A world of need and brokenness and brothers and sisters who can't cast out a demon. That's what's waiting for them. But here in the mountaintop is experiences, insight, revelation, uh, the beauty of the Lord manifest before them. Uh, that happens in mountaintops. And all of us, we need both the valley of, of calling, uh, the valley of ministry, but we also need the mountaintops. And here's the interesting thing. Right after God entered or through Jesus Christ, they are introduced to Calvary. They are called to revelation. Notice that these things are placed right beside each other. We ended chapter number eight with a call to sacrifice. We begin chapter nine with a moment of revelation. Um, I think the sequencing of this is important. Many of us want the mountaintop without the revelation of the cross. We want the revelation of the mountain, the glory, 
the majesty, but we don't want that to follow on the heels of the cross. Um, we want miracle, not necessarily, not necessarily calling. Now, I'm just talking about the flesh. I'm talking about myself and uh, maybe applying to some of you guys by accident. Uh, what we want is the benefit and the exaltation. We want that. But we don't want the cross of ego death and uh, ego humiliation and self-denial. Um, but isn't it interesting, the sequencing, the moment in the story that Mark gives us? It's almost as though, look, if you can do this, then you can have that. <laughs> but if you can't do this, if you, if you can't settle this, um, this is going to always follow on the heels of that. Now, is this order uh, found often in the scripture? Is there often glory on the other side of sacrifice? Is this rare? Or is uh, this a spiritual lesson? Well, let's think about it. In the lives of the patriarchs, what came first? Testing, growth, trial, tribulation, or exaltation and glory. In the story of Jesus himself, what came first? Exaltation and glory or a cross? This, I would hesitate to make a hard and fast rule with this. Um, I think if the Lord wanted us to make a, a rule out of it, it would have been given to us as a rule. I like to speak when the Bible speaks. And if the Bible is clear about something, I like to be clear about it. If the Bible isn't clear about it, I, I don't like to pretend like I am clear about it. The Bible doesn't speak about it. I don't like to pretend like I know a lot about it. Um, that can be difficult as a pastor, but I, I, I want you to know that we have to preach the gospel we've been given. Uh, not the gospel that is expected, um, not a reassurance plan uh, for others. We, we have to speak where the Bible speaks. We're warned three times not to, to take away from the scripture. We're warned five, four times not to add to the scripture. So um, I don't want to make a clear rule because the Bible doesn't, where it always happens this way. I think we have to leave room for the spirit to blow to blow where it where it will. But that said, um, there's a lot of scripture that goes like this: If you will endure, the same shall be saved. Or um, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and now has sat down on the right hand. You, you get the idea. Um, I don't think the order is an accident, and I don't want to present it as uh, like a, a necessary hard and fast rule. I, I want you to see how there seems to be a theme here that weeping endures for the night, but joy, joy comes in the morning. Do you see? Um, and so here you see the revelation of a cross, and then you see the revelation of glory. And you see Jesus there manifest to the disciples 
with Moses and Elijah. Now, this is, remember, in all theology, uh, all biblical teaching, symbol is profoundly important. And if you fail to understand symbol, then you will usually not know where to begin because nearly everything we do uh, is symbolic in some way. Let me give you an example. When you're baptized in Jesus' name, the water is not holy. Uh, It is symbolic of both remission and adoption. And if you struggle with symbol, you struggle with baptism. In the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, um, it's, it's not that the wine and the bread become the body and the blood of Jesus in literal. It's not like you start it, take it out, and then test it for DNA. That's just silly. Uh, what you do is it is representative, the power of spiritual symbol. Uh, this 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 is something that all of you know. So in this moment here, uh, Mark chapter number nine, you see the you see Moses, you see Elijah. What is this? The law and the prophets representing the past, representing what God has done, representing what uh, is the story they have lived through. They're children of Abraham. These disciples standing there are children of Abraham. They feel a strong connection uh, to this this Hebrew covenant. And here they here they are, and they see Jesus standing with Moses and Elijah. The law is not refuted in Jesus Christ. It's completed in Jesus Christ. Uh, the prophets are not refuted in Jesus Christ. They are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so here you have God himself, eternal, omniscient, omnipotent, testifying of himself for he bears witness. The eternal God bears witness for his son, Jesus, this flesh that walks with him, who gets tired, who gets hungry. This is the eternal God offering testimony of his son. Do you see? And they, as witnesses, are seeing God's testimony of the Lamb of God to be slain for sinners. And in this moment, it's as though God himself says, look, from the beginning, this was happening. I took you through the prophets. I took you or I took you through the law. You walked through the patriarchs. This is the story of the progressiveness of my work through the children of Israel. But now we've arrived somewhere important. This is my beloved son, hear ye him. We have to remember my brothers and sisters, uh, as however much we love the Bible, and I I pray you do have a love for the Bible. Um, We we have to understand that Jesus is not just a character in the story. Now, I wanna say this, and I want you to get it. Jesus is not a character in the story. Jesus is the story. You've gotta get that. Because if you don't get that, you'll miss the gospel. You've got to see Jesus is not a character in the story. Jesus is the story. And so if you see him as a character, you'll see the Bible as the story. 
and Jesus as kind of like a character in the story. Um, he is the story. He's not the character in the story. He is the story. In other words, all of that led to him. Hear him. This is why um, I know this uh, can sometimes make people somewhat uncomfortable, but I am deeply, deeply comfortable with this. Um, whenever people use the Old Testament to criticize believers and say, well, how could a loving God do that? I always point out that the Old Testament is God taking us on a journey. Jesus is the destination of the journey. The Old Testament is God progressing us toward a finale. A finale. Jesus is that finale. Uh, Jesus does not teach us how to find the truth. Jesus is the truth. That is why salvation is a relationship, do you see, with the heart of God, with to perceive, to know the heart of God manifests through Jesus Christ. That is why he's not just a way, you know, one of the ways to God. He is the way to God. He is not a path to life. He is the life. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And we are complete in him. This is why the very first thing we do is turn toward Jesus. That's why you read so much of the language in the New Testament of confession. A lot of times apostolics are afraid of the language of confession. We're not afraid of confession at First Church. I'll tell you why. <laughs> he is our truth. Do you see? Uh, what we're not trying to say that is the end. And that's why a lot of apostolics are afraid. Like if you just confess, uh, you know, <laughs> you're done. No. Um, that's not what we're trying to say. The Lord has a lot of leading, a lot of guiding. The Lord wants to fulfill the whole uh, sacrament of grace in you. And that happens, yes, with repentance. Yes, confessing. We're not afraid of confession. Confessing Christ. Baptism in his name. That a divine adoption and remission of sins. And finally, the gift evidenced in the book of Acts where he gives us our own testimony, our own spiritual experience that is not, you know, it's not the kind of thing that's just so vague, um, we wonder about it. It happens to us. It's a personalized experience, which is why you see the transformation of confidence in the individual lives of the disciples in the book of Acts. But back to what I'm saying here, Christ is the destination. He's not just a character in the story. He is the story. He is our hope. He is the perfect life we could not live. You see, he is the regeneration we did not deserve. He is the, <laughs> the satisfaction of justice against the heaviness of sin. He is that. And why we repent, turn toward him, confess his name, and that's not all, but take on his name in baptism, do you see? And testify of his presence in us through the gift of the Holy Spirit, do you see? It's all about him. That's the lesson of this moment. And I'm going to try to wrap up here. Um, uh, I don't want to go beyond uh, your uh, Wednesday night ability to follow and I get carried away and oftentimes go longer. 
um, than your ability to follow. So uh, here, this moment, uh, you see this moment where Peter's suggestion is, it's all of equal value. Watch this. I hope you see this. Um, so let's build a tabernacle here to Moses. It's, it's all equal value around here. <laughs> Moses is just like Jesus. He's a spiritual leader. And all of heaven screams, no, hush, Peter. You always do this. Just try silence for a change. You ever hang out with someone to make you feel like that? Just try not speaking for a change. <laughs> I have an idea. It's all just one story and it's all of equal value. <laughs> so let's say that we have a tabernacle for Moses and we have a tabernacle for Elijah and we have a tabernacle for Jesus because they're all the same. I mean, they all are the story. They're all of equal value. Don't ever let a critic of the Old Testament get you to buy into the fact that the Old Testament is as perfect as the words of Jesus. It's not. It's not of equal value. It's profitable, yes, for learning, for reproof, for uh, uh, instruction, for theology. Yes, it's profitable. But let's not build three tabernacles. There is one who is worthy of our praise. And so when we rebuke, rebuke the forces of the enemy, we don't pray in the name of Moses and Elijah, oh, and Jesus too. Come on already. It's not all the same. There is one higher than all the rest. There is a name that's been given that's above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, oh, hallelujah. Let's not build three tabernacles. There's one here that we need to hear. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Jesus is my hope. When I'm aware of my imperfection and my own doubt and fear begins to rage within me and I don't know whether to quit or just give in to the self-loathing of the moment, I have to stop myself and say, good thing heaven is not predicated on me. Would you cover me with your righteousness, Lord Jesus? When the enemy shows up as the accuser of your life and points out all the reasons why you should quit, you get to talk back to the devil. Don't just talk back to the preacher. I know You know who you are. Talk back to the devil. Say, now, now, uh, uh, Satan, if it was all on me, you would be 100% right and I'd have to say amen. But it's not on me. Um, uh, <laughs> there was a perfect life lived just as Perfection was lost through the rebellion of Adam. Perfection was regained through the submission of Jesus Christ. And my hope today is in Jesus Christ. It's not all the same. We don't rebuke the devil in the name of Isaiah. We don't speak Jeremiah. Is it profitable for us? Yes. Is it good for reproof, for doctrine, for instruction? A thousand times yes. But there is one after the smoke has cleared. Now, I preached this as an evangelist for years, and I, I took people, this Mark chapter number nine, I took people on a survey of all the uh, religious leaders of history, not all of them, but a lot of them. I actually... Well, uh, my my uh, degree is actually in religious studies. And so I had to study all the world religions. And I took people on uh, uh, just a survey of 
of and 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 I brought them back to the point um, that after the mist has cleared, you'll only see one who is there'll be none standing save Jesus only. That's the King James uh, translation. That was my title, save Jesus only. And in all that time, I never preached it the way I'm teaching it tonight. I never did. I always preached it against Buddha. <laughs> I always, pre and yes, that is absolutely correct. When the smoke clears, there's only one. But in this moment, to the Jews, there was no risk of them honoring Buddha. But there was a risk of them exalting Moses to the same level. Why do you think the Pharisees refused Jesus Christ? They held Moses at the same level. Why do you think that the, uh, oh, I'm having a mental block, a, a group of the a Jewish faith that exalt the prophets above the law, um, the Kabbalistic uh, uh, Jews, they exalt prophets above law. So here you have the uh, Kabbalistic uh, Jews exalting Elijah. And here is the Lord testifying of his son saying, no, 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 no. They're not all the same. We don't need three tabernacles. When the smoke clears, I want you to focus. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. And this is the moment of clarity. What has happened recently? Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? This happened right before the revelation of the cross. Who do you say that I am? Here, uh, 12 verses later, uh, Jesus isn't asking the disciples who they think he is. God is speaking to the disciples who Jesus actually is. And so I have hope in my life for you when I speak the name of Jesus over you. Uh, three weapons of a spiritual nature. Those of you who are in early prayer, you heard me uh, teach this every single morning of prayer last week. We have early prayer at 630. Go to the website, follow the links under uh, midweek connections. You'll be able to join the prayer. Um, but three weapons. What are they? Uh, uh, the name, the blood, and the word. The name, the blood, and the word. The name is not standing in our own authority. The blood not standing in our own righteousness and the word not standing in our own beliefs, our own judgments, but we surrender to the word, the will of God. That's how spiritual authority comes from standing before the world religions, standing before even Moses and even Elijah. That's all going to be blurred away. And God himself is going to speak and he's going to say, there is one. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. All right, that's enough. Every need you have, let's speak the name of Jesus over it right now. I want us to take a moment. I want us to uh, pray together uh, for a few moments. Um, I will uh, invite you to think of the needs in your life and speak, pray, sing, preach, breathe the name of Jesus over those needs. Let's pray together right now. Lord Jesus, we come to you in hope, confidence, and faith. Not in our righteousness. We haven't any. We don't stand here in our goodness. We plead your blood. We don't stand here in our authority. We speak your name. And we don't stand here in our wisdom and our way. 
we submit to your word. We speak the name of Jesus over every sickness that is in our church, our families, the evangelistic reach and spiritual influence of the church. I speak your healing power as spiritual blessing, heavenly demonstration into every sick room, every chronic illness. I can't do it, Lord, but I can speak the name of Jesus. I pray into every family situation where there's great friction in a family, uh, husbands and wives, there is such a epidemic in America right now of marriages falling apart. It's almost as though two years of COVID, uh, we were all running on adrenaline. And now as it fades, we're realizing uh, we didn't do a good job of taking care of each other. And so many of us are giving up on our marriages. I pray, Lord Jesus, for healing in our marriage relationships. I pray for healing in the parent-children relationships of First Church. Um, we want to lead our children in ways of, of righteousness, of ways of wisdom. We want to demonstrate grace to our children. Um, we want to show them how to be faithful when we're tired. Uh, we don't want to teach them how to always have an excuse on how to miss church. We want our children to see us pay a price in order to be in church. We don't want them to learn. You can always come up with an excuse to uh, not pray. We want to show our children how much we value prayer and how much we work to pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would show them humility. And when we're wrong, we would apologize to them. Um, they learn more in one sincere apology about repentance than uh, 15 years of us yelling at them to repent. Um, Lord Jesus, help us to demonstrate you. Um, what, it, it's not enough for us just to be religious. We want your heart to shine through us. We don't want to just be philosophical. We want your words to live through us, oh God. So let your name be the highest, highest star in our sky. We seek your blessing, your approval, your guidance, and we speak your name over every need. Don't let us be impressed with our troubles and then just be in some way uh, duty bound to your name. Let us be impressed with the power that's in your name. In Jesus name, I pray. <clears throat> in Jesus name, I pray. God bless you all. We love you. Um, just so you'll know, uh, early prayer tomorrow at 630. Uh, links on the website. Um, Pastor Don teaches. Um, Tomorrow night, we strive to give you an opportunity to uh, be a part on a regular basis of everything you want to be a part of. And so <laughs> we create lots of opportunities at First Church for spiritual connection. Um, and uh, that link is also on the website, firstchurchclt.com. There's a big uh, 
icon there called Midweek Connections. Click that. You'll have all of the connections through the week. Church is better together. Ministry is better together. Life is better together. We love you. God bless you. Have a great week in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.